What's up, world? What's up, world? It's Rose Dupree and Ricky D coming at you live from Dallas, Texas, bringing you the Free the Blind podcast. Man, we've been put so much into this, and we've been planning for years. You know what I mean? Trying to put this together, and it just feel real good. It's a real humbling moment. You know what I'm saying? A moment of achievement to to be able to come to you, us as brothers, and bring you our perspective. You know what I mean? For brothers and for sisters and also for anybody who, you know, willing to lend the ear, you know what I mean? Just, just from black, from a black perspective. Yeah, man, it's your boy Ricky D. Like my partner Rose just said, this is the Freedom Bond Podcast. We're going to be going over black topics and dealing with it from a black perspective for our people. Our motive is to educate, congratulate, and press forward to come out with strategies to make it out this thing. And, uh live uh our black america dream so right right we're gonna get right into it so george floyd obviously you know we would be remiss not to start the podcast off with george floyd so what happened to the brother was was a tragedy you know what i mean and I just feel like the reaction from America was so great. And, you know, I appreciated it at first. And then I started thinking, like, why was the reaction so I feel like people understood. It's like all of a sudden, overnight, snap, everyone understood racism. You know what I mean? It's like been yeah. here for so long. That traction came out of nowhere. You know, just to see that uh, Black Lives Matters was out so many years ago and it was bad she wasn't accepted you know yeah, uh, i'm exactly. glad i'm glad how it happened everybody's rallying behind it and uh and understand what the uh, what the basis of it means you know but it's like but it still took this you know yeah. and that's the part of it that's still it's still crazy to me you know not everybody's on board exactly and, it, and it, the reaction was so overwhelming i'm thinking like why wasn't this type of reaction for say Tamir Rice who was a 12 year old you know what I mean it's, it's a child playing with a toy you know what I mean at the yeah. park and the dude didn't even go to jail and that you know you would think something like that would would warrant the type of reaction that you got this time and not trying to demean George Floyd or what happened to him it was a tragedy but what I'm saying is that this shit happens every day it's happened since then so many times you know what I mean? And I yeah. feel like if we're going to give that sort of attention to this particular individual, all human life is valuable. You know what I mean? And that that we should be that upset every single time it happens. Every time it happens. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, I'm, on, I'm more so on the things of what's, what now, you know? What can we do forward? I feel like I pride myself I'm a man about action, you know? I dwell in my stuff for a second, you know, and then I'm always trying to come up with a strategy and an outcome, you know, how we push forward. Exactly. And I think that handling all situations that happen, you know, of this nature, the same and setting the precedent. Um, so these guys were charged and they were held accountable. So I think that going forward, it's like it's just like a court precedent. If someone's found guilty because of this reason or because of forensics or this reason, it sets a precedent. And everybody automatically after that is guilty. You know what I mean? Like straight up. That's just how the court system works. So I feel like that it shouldn't work any different just because these people's jobs is 
you know, linked to law and order. You know what I mean? They feel like it's kind of an extension of, you know, of the court system. So it's like they kind of get a tax break. You know what I mean? And I don't feel like that that's just, you know, I, I don't feel like that's constitutional. So if these dudes are charged and they're convicted, then I feel like going forward, everyone should be held accountable and should be held to that same standard. Yeah, and I can't press the issue enough. Uh, these are the times to put out put our voices out best way we can. And one of those methods is voting, you know. Uh, I have dropped the ball plenty of times in, in, in voting, especially when it comes to the local officials. And I think that's what we don't pay attention more about is our local officials. Our and local that's what affects our us local the most. Judges, you know, and put people in position that holds our values, that, that, that understands our fight. But we're going to have to get up, get registered, you know, and uh, mark a date on the calendar, you know, to do our part. You know, it is a voice. It's not the strongest and the loudest, but, you know, we have to use everything that we equipped with, you know, yeah. to come out of the situation, use our resources to the T, and we need to band together and elect the right officials. I uh, think that mo that the that our problem, particularly as a community, is that we don't trust those type of people. We don't, you know, we don't trust them, so we feel like that our voice doesn't count. I know, especially, you know, growing up in the post-George Bush Jr. era, you know what I mean? And how old I was, I was probably the first time, you know, when they cheated, I was probably in like seventh grade. So that's at a time where, you know, I'm pretty much making up in my mind what the world is and what the world is about, you know what I mean? And the value that I have, my place in it, you know, even things that you're not paying attention to, you're subconsciously taking that in and building up your image of the world. And I remember, you know, George, he lost, he lost the race. And then they was like, hold on, it's a recount in my brother's state. Hold on. My brother say it might be some more people down there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just uh -huh. like straight rigged election. Then came back and was like, oh, shit, I won. You know what I mean? And I just felt like I always looked at voting as a fraud because of that, because of that situation happening. And I was so young and so vulnerable that I really lost trust in in the whole process, in the whole democratic process, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I I think that I didn't I didn't vote until it was time to vote for Obama. And that's just cause my mama made me. Okay. <laughs> my mama made me get my ass up, she put me, she stuffed me in the car, in a truck, <laughs> and drove yeah. me down to vote for Obama. Look, I would say I I see your point, cause uh I could uh come up with another one's kinda similar. I remember uh when it was uh Trump running against Hillary. When it was Trump running against Hillary, um, I recall watching the local news and uh, one of the people that holds the delegates uh, yeah. to cast the actual vote for the state, this dude literally said he didn't care if everybody in the state voted for Hillary. It was no way that he was going to give his delegate in for her. You know, so to go off your point, it is fraud in so many ways. Yeah. But like I said, it is a resource, you know. Yeah. Uh, they can get away with what they get away with, but you know, as long as we keep an eye on them, and as long as we uh, get peace for protests and, and making people aware of the maneuvers that's going on, oppose from us intentionally, you know, it's a resource that we still have to utilize, what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree, I agree, 100%. So speaking of Trump, 
What about this Trump rally that was supposed to be held in Tulsa? You know, the home of the the Black Massacre, you know, the Black Wall Street Massacre. On Juneteenth, on June 19th, to add to the disrespect of him even going there and holding a white supremacist rally, a place where white supremacists basically just massacred black people, scores of black people. That was intentional. Yeah, no way, no way that it wasn't intentional. You know what I mean? And it's so so many people around you when you plan something like this. That was brought up. You know what I mean? That was the first thing that was brought up. Where are you going? The second thing that was brought up is the day that you're doing it on. You know what I mean? So somewhere there was a conversation about this, and y'all felt like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that was just something to do. Yeah, it was definitely intentional. Of course, we know now since then. The actual day had got pushed forward to the 20th, and uh, he came out with a statement on his Twitter. Uh, I don't know what he said verbatim, but, you know, it was basically saying that it's unfair to the black people that support him that wants to celebrate that day, so we're going to do it on the 20th, the next day, so uh, they can celebrate Juneteenth, you know. So. Acting like he did something, like yeah. fuck something up, did something fucked up, and then cleaned it up like he did something. And that reminded me of a story that Dave Chappelle told on one of his specials. The story was about Iceberg Slim. Iceberg Slim was a pimp back in the day, back when pimping was pimping. You know what I mean? So Iceberg was talking about having control over a person, having control over a person's mind. You know, and he was talking about one of his hoes, he beat her with a coat hanger. So I beat that bitch with a coat hanger, and then I ran a bubble bath, gave her some pills, and massaged her feet. He said she was so she was so happy that I that I fixed her that she forgot that I was the one that broke her in the first place. You know what I mean? That's, that's a means. Of, it is crazy, bro. And that's a it's a means of control to fuck some shit up over here and then come cleaning up. Like, hey, look what I did for y'all. When really you didn't do shit. You you disrespected us in the first place by even doing the shit. So yeah. So basically, he's the one who's out here causing the damage. But on the other side acting like he's for us and he did all this for us and exactly you know we should be happy you know so exactly like we should kiss your ass about the shit because the black like the black wall street massacre was like was like a big deal fam it was a it was a huge deal and what's crazy is that it all started over a dude named dick Rowland getting arrested he was a black dude you know what I mean? And that was like, it, it was a controversial arrest, whatever happened, there was controversy around it. So it was a black mob and a white mob outside. And and they're both armed. So they're getting like a shootout. People started shooting. The There was more white people, more, they were outgunned, so the black people had to run. So I guess that the, the white mob was, they're white supremacists and that they were angry that the black people stood up for themselves. So the next morning, they just started rioting and looting stores and basically burned down the black community, which was Black Wall Street, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they burned down 35 city blocks. It was like said that over 300 people died, over 800 people received injuries, like let's, a thousand homes, let's, a thousand homes. Let's not forget on how well they was living though, you mm -hmm. know? These are uh, these black folks that are uh, working class, and uh, they made money, had nice houses. I remember uh, I was reading one comment that said uh, they had pianos in the house and it was a white guy that made the mark on 
how the hell that he has a piano and I don't, yeah. you know? So it was an envious to this community yeah. from the outside because how well of living condition that was actually in. Yeah, that, and everything was black owned. That's the crazy part about it. You're talking about black grocery stores, black hotels, black doctors, black dentist practices, black newspapers, black luxury shops, restaurants, um, banks, libraries, pool halls, nightclubs, barbershops, you know what I mean? The bus route, the taxi service, everything was black owned. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's crazy. It was it's a strong community. Yeah. It was established in 1906. It's called, the district was called Greenwood. You know what I mean? It was an Indian territory originally. And then after the, after the Civil War, the Indians kind of started selling plots of lands to people that were slaves there and now they were free and to people who moved there they started like selling plots of lands off their territory so there was a dude named O.W. Gurley you know he was a wealthy black landowner which is crazy because these are the type of people that we don't learn about in in school you know we think that everyone was a slave and then they got free and everyone started from kind of ground zero when that's not true you know what I mean Madam C.J. Walker was a black millionaire back when people were still enslaved you know what I mean? Yeah. But O.W. Gurley, so he was a wealthy um, black landowner, and he buys 40 acres in Tulsa, and he named it Greenwood. So, and then he opened up the first business in 1906, and he had a vision of a self-controlled, self-contained, self-reliant black economy. You know, something that we build for us, by us. And the word spread about opportunities that, you know, that were here in Tulsa and a lot of people, Texas, Louisiana, you know, a lot of people that were that now they were freed and they needed something going forward, you know, a plan of action. A lot of people flocked to that area. Look, this is why I like what you're saying right now about the history of this, because just earlier I mentioned action, what we do from here. And we have a template of successful, uh, sustainable black community. You know, we we. There's too many black folks out here today that know business, you know, and uh, we can do this, you know. What I mean by it's man together and keep our dollar in our community, you know, just how we see other minorities do. Exactly. Speaking of pooling uh, your resources. Speaking of Mexicans and uh, all the shops and things that they have, uh, the Koreans, you know, uh, the Indians, everybody, you know, band together, you know, and keep that money inside their community, and we just spill ours out. And that's and that's crazy because that's one of the things that hurt us the most. I mean, you're talking about your dollars circulating inside your community. We we spent like three trillion dollars last year. You know what I mean? And we put everybody else's kids through school. We put white people kids through school buying up their shit. We put Asian people kids through school at the liquor store, at the nail store, at the hair salon. You know what I mean? But but our kids ain't going to school. You know what I mean? The black dollar leaves the leaves the our economy so quickly. The Jewish dollar can stay inside its its economy for twenty three days. The Asian dollar can stay in Asian hands for twenty eight days. The white dollar can stay inside this community for 21 days. The black dollar, only six hours. Six hours. That's crazy. That's like that's like two episodes of Avengers. You watch yeah, two Avengers yeah. back to back, and that dollar, every single dollar that was spent <laughs> at this time has now left our community. It's, it, it's crazy to even think about. But now going back, to Black Wall Street and how they did it, you know, the dude O.W. Gurley who, who who set it up and had the vision, 
he used to even loan people money to start their businesses because that's how much he he believed in his vision and how much value he saw in having their own black economy and they had a system to where they paid people back and they put other entrepreneurs on you know what i mean jb stratford was another dude you know he was a black businessman and he always talked about how how we were better and stronger if we pulled our resources and he built a 55 room luxury hotel <laughs> 55 room luxury hotel the biggest black owned hotel in the entire country you know what I mean? A.J. Smitherman was another guy that was instrumental. He founded the Tulsa Star, and that was the newspaper. And I cannot stress to you how important that was. And, I mean, established a, a socially conscious mindset, you know, amongst the black people and giving them the truth and giving it to you from a black perspective. And that's something that hurts us so much to this day that especially growing up and especially older people, you know, our parents and grandparents and things like that. And the only person you get your news source is from the white news. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, I'm keeping count. So far, we did brought up two points of the strategy, what can get us out this predicament that we in you know and give us all better lives to years to come you know the first thing was resources of the voting got to vote to get our voice out you know first thing first now we're seeing on the economic part about it how we need to man together buy black and buy things in our community make shops in our community you know what I'm saying give jobs in our community and keep it there and then we will have the money back behind us to make our own news. And then the third thing is the news outlet and where you get your information. And just getting all your inf our information, we're subconsciously taking in things about ourselves, and we're allowing the media to tell us who we are. Even if you say you don't believe it, your brain sees it so much. When you see the news, all you see is black people go to jail and you just automatically assume that you know what I'm saying? That you're a criminal, my nigga. You're subconsciously telling yourself that by allowing your mind to soak in this information so much. My son saw my ID, you know what I mean, from, from my from my driver's license. And he said, Daddy, is is that a bad guy? Is that when you're a bad guy? He thought it was a mugshot. <laughs> wow. He's five years old. Yeah, these, uh, man, the news is crazy these days, man. And uh, it's all for ratings. It's all for money. It's not true news. Like, I would say the local news are better, you know, but they get synced into the same verbiage talk that goes across the country as well. You know, uh, I was actually doing some reading the other day and uh, a guy convinced me that today the best, the single best source of news that everybody have access to. The best source of news is the uh, the Noga newspaper. I remember I, uh, I was reading an article and the guy convinced me that uh, local newspaper is 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 the true it's the true journalism that we still have today. Uh, even though it does has its uh, trying perspectives, but it's 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 one of the best that we got because cable news and all the local news it's like it's in the spin. It's the same stuff. It's the same narrative, and they they're based off of. Uh, you know, ad space and you know, ratings. You know, and uh, ratings. That's the, that's so that's so big that people would rather tell you something that's shocking than something that's good for you.
You know what I mean? And Denzel was always he was talking about what's the what's the result? You know what I mean? What's the reaction of access to so much information? He was talking about social media. This is why local newspaper are important. Because all the biggest stories that we see today, the groundbreaking stories that take the headlines, they always start from the local newspaper, majority of the time. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a better outsource because, man, when it comes to these uh, news people, some of it's true, some of it's not. It's not true journalism. It's basically, it's just basically video clickbait. You know, it's just a spin that they're, they're going to, and they're just showing perspectives. They're showing perspectives, you know, that they think that's going to just get popular attention. Well, on the opposing hand, the newspaper just pick stories, you know, and just write. You know, it's true journalism, you know. And two things, the two problems I have with the local news, one, especially when you're talking about the news show, it focuses so much on crime, and the only thing that it shows about black community is talking about poverty talking about you know what I'm saying people going to jail talking about you know what I'm saying it just shows the black community and such it doesn't show any of the rich texture of the black community I mean more people more black kids go to college than go to jail straight up but you don't see that on the news you know what I mean you don't see them going to a black school and you know praising it for doing something well it just it just doesn't happen so it kind of subconsciously paints a picture even as a young child is telling you that this is who you are this is who you are and i even saw like um on my espn app i'm scrolling looking at looking at scores and shit and the dallas news then took out an ad with espn so then they showing mug shots they showing niggas mug shots. I'm scrolling, looking at scores, looking at sports stories, and I see niggas mug shots and females mug shots. Every one of them black. You know what I'm saying? I scroll once, twice, there's another ad, another mug shot. It's like I can't even look at sports without being subconsciously fed the image of myself being a criminal. Wow. <laughs> and and it, it is, fam. And the second problem that I have with with the local news is that at the end of the day, it's still the perspective of white men. White men. You know what I'm saying? The editor, your senior writers, gonna be mostly white men. So it's still gonna be the stories that they can cover, that they can't cover, that is important, that's not important. The people who are deciding what information that's going on in this town that's important to give to people is still from a perspective and the narrative of a white man. So what you're trying to say, we need our own media outlet we need our own media outlet and like something that can rival cnn fox news that actually cares about the picture that they're painting of black people to black people and to the world because it's not just like we're the only ones that's brainwashed white people are brainwashed too to think that we're violent and that I, you know what I'm saying that all black people are violent that all people all black people are criminals the news has is the reason that they think that. I mean, a lot of it is shit that's passed down, but also the news has been around for a long time, bro. You know what I'm saying? They've been they've been tricking people into this narrative for such a long time, and it's crazy because coming out of slavery, you know what I'm saying, we were the ones that were beaten. And coming out of Jim Crow, we were the ones that were beaten. And we were the ones that worked for nothing and built this country for free. But then you come back a hundred years later, and they tell us that we're lazy and we're violent. Hmm. Yeah.
You know what I mean? They pulled a quick one on that one. A quick one. A quick look over there. And then I grabbed your purse and run. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> For real, pulled the fast one, bro. And will really have you thinking that about yourself. You know what I'm saying? If you if you not if you're not careful. So I think that's that that's something real important that, you know what I mean? All these all these rich black Jay-Z you know what I'm saying? P. Diddy motherfuckers. And we and we not having no money pushed towards something that these niggas steadily trying to beg the NFL to get them a motherfucking team and they not going to do it because they racist as fuck. Nigga, put y'all bread together and build a hospital so we can get some adequate care. You know what I'm saying? Put y'all bread together and build a bank so niggas can get, get loans and get some nice cars and some nice houses and live in a nice neighborhood and feel good about yourself that, you know what I'm saying, that your people take a step forward. You know what I mean, and I'm not even I'm not even so mad at people. I was talking down on blowing money in the strip club, and I was watching the Killer Mike trigger warning, and he was talking about how going to a strip club is one of the ways to keep the bread in your community, especially when it's a black-owned strip club like Magic City, because you got a black is black-owned, and the most of the workers there are black, so that's actually a way to keep your bread in your community. I would say don't stop the search there. You don't have to just. No, you don't. You don't. You <laughs> don't. <laughs> you don't, bro. But I'm saying at least that is a way. You know what I'm saying? That's better than going buying $40,000 worth of Gucci. And then they're going to put out a racist ass fucking ad next week. And not give a fuck about your feelings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Bring out a blackface hoodie or something. You know what I'm saying? Like crazy ass mad racist shit. But black people probably spend $200 million with them every year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 not a real figure. That's a number that I was just pulling out of my ass. You know what I'm saying? The, the things that it. we are saying is cited. You know what I'm saying? Sources. We're not just giving you information off our, you know what I'm saying, off our cuff sleeve. Like, we're really researching this type of information, but that particular figure was not accurate. <laughs> Don't quote me on that, bro. Yeah, but but yeah. you get the picture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And what's crazy about Black Wall Street, like, I don't want, I don't want y'all to misunderstand um, me into thinking that everyone's an entrepreneur. It, it was a, it was a great time for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial mindset. But there was also a working class, you know, people who worked as janitors, dishwashers, you know, to help, you know, what I mean, different sharecroppers, you know, different stuff. But the the crazy thing is that the way it was set up was that even though those people worked. For white people, they would come home and spend the money in their neighborhood, in their economy. When they wanted to go to the dentist, they went to a black dentist. When they wanted to go to the doctor, they went to a black doctor. When they wanted to go to the grocery store, they went to a black grocery store. You remember yesterday, we were trying to look up a black grocery store to even go to and spend our money. We couldn't even find one in Texas. <laughs> not one. Couldn't find not one in Texas, bro. You know what I mean? Even the fucked up ones in our neighborhood is still on. We was talking about Minions. For y'all who don't know, Minions is a, you know what I'm saying, kind of hood grocery store in Oak Cliff. Even Minions, you know what I'm saying, the fucked up store that's in your neighborhood ain't owned by black people, it's owned by white people. So even when you spend your money in your neighborhood, it don't even stay in your economy. What's important to point out is we as black people, we take our money we buy things, we disperse it, and all the money is leaving our neighborhood. It's not staying and circulating in our communities. That's why we lean on so much assistance, you know, from the government, or is it from the city, or, you know, uh, 
whatever avenue we can get because we don't have any money backing ourselves a strong economy within our own circle. You know, it's uh, we we bring the money in, dishing it out, and there's there's not enough generated or circulated between us. Six hours, bro. You know, we see uh we see other coaches do it all the time when it comes to uh, Mexicans, uh, Asians, you know, Indians. You know, you see them band together. You see them moving the community and pretty much take over. You know, everybody flooded in there. They start buying businesses, stores. You know, they even taking over. Uh, uh, commercial chain stores and it's all of them working in there. You know, like and it's crazy how Rick Ross would rather go franchise a gang of wing stops instead of opening up the Rick Ross wings. You know what I'm saying? Employ some black people, get you some. You know what I'm saying? Some black senior vice presidents, black chairman of the board. You know what I'm saying? This nigga Shaq hop on that Papa John's, my nigga. After the nigga said gang of racist shit, and then hop on on Papa John's, bro. Nigga, fuck that, bro. Make Shaq pizza. Yeah. It employ a bunch of black people, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And have black people come and spend the money there and, and actually keep the money in the black community, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. definitely that's definitely a strategy. Like, and it pairs up with the voting, you know, get our vote across. The next step is get our dollar strong, have our dollars circulating between us, and it's trying to be mindful about spending within your community. Hell, we you need a black anyway. bank, bro. I saw I saw a movie called Bankers, you know what I'm saying, with Samuel L. Jackson, and I, I'm not sure the dude's real name, but he played a Falcon in Avengers, you know what I'm saying? He the black, he the black Avenger. <laughs> the only one, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I, there are, I saw there a movie. Some, uh, there are some black banks out there, you know, but they're just not, I guess they're just not national. You yeah. Know? Uh, the only black banks that I know of is in Atlanta. You know, I know they yeah. got at least about a, a couple there. They got some online as well. But for us living in Texas, we can't go walk inside no black bank and try to get a loan for no house. You know what I'm saying? That's what the dudes who who in um, in the movie Bankers, it's on Apple TV, they bought a bank in Texas. You know, they had a bunch of properties in L.A. and they bought a bank in Texas. They actually bought two banks in Texas. But the first bank, you know what I'm saying, they... And, and they were giving home loans and business loans to black people. You know what I mean? And that's really what, what the whole thing boiled down to. They had to have a white boy as the front. And then they played the back, ran the numbers, you know what I mean? And was giving out the loans, giving out the loans to people. When the white people found out, I mean, they sick dollars on them. They found it. And really, was, it was the white dude who they had up front who, who committed fraud. He tried to move all the loans over to the other bank while they was being audited. And it flagged them. And then he took the stand and was like, I was just a puppet. The black dudes told me to do everything. The black dudes went to jail. And it's crazy that that's a model. I mean, the whole black Wall Street model and, and the banking model and just a lot of other things. I feel like that the people, the people in power or the black people of wealth right now, you know what I mean, aren't thinking that way. They're not thinking to that direction. And, you know, I, marching cool. You know what I mean? Protesting cool. You know, internet stuff is cool. But we actually needed some black dollars to go to work on helping rebuild these communities. I mean, just go back to the community we from. You know what I'm saying? That you from. I ain't asking a nigga to go try to save the whole world. But you from Atlanta. All y'all niggas rich in Atlanta. Nigga, where y'all bank? With a hospital. You know what I'm saying? Where the centers for the kids to go and learn something. 
You know what I'm saying? A bunch of rappers want to shoot each other up, and, and, I, and I ain't talking down on the culture, bro, because I'm actually, I actually was a street nigga, and everything that you the name from robbing niggas, shooting niggas, selling dope, I did all that. But what I'm talking about is now. Me now. You know what I'm saying? This is what I'm thinking. You know what I mean? And and I feel like it's too many of us on and too many of us with bread for for us to be looking for to some white folks to fix our problems, bro. You know what I'm saying? I guess you're saying we need more that uh LeBron James. Yeah, stuff exactly. Going on, you know? Exactly. Bro went and bought a whole school. A whole school, and he did it himself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You don't need LeBron James money when you got ten motherfuckers that got half LeBron James money. You know what I'm saying? Or even yeah. a quarter of LeBron James money. You know what I'm saying? Or even just anything, nigga, just what you can do. You know what I'm saying? Just go back to your neighborhood, bro, and fix some shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We spend too much bread not to spend nothing on ourselves, not to invest nothing in ourselves. Shit crazy. And that's what made Nipsey Hussle so dangerous to them people. You know what I mean? Because Nipsey was really buying back the block. And he was setting a blueprint to do exactly what we was talking about. You know what I mean? He didn't even want to, I mean, the police was trying to get this, get the building owners to kick this nigga out the complex because they, you know, they had gangbangers there, but they wasn't doing nothing. They was running the business, but, you know, was trying to say this was a center of gangbangers. So Nipsey went and bought the whole building. Amen. Went and bought the whole building. We got a feature by Young Chief. Chief. My homeboy Ricky D son, you know what I'm saying? We both got kids, you know what I'm saying? Our kids be playing the shit out here. It's a it's a good situation. You know what I mean? And we actually that actually Chief coming out here is a perfect segue into black fatherhood, which was the the way that we were gonna wrap up, you know, all our topics, all our things that we were talking about today. So the importance of black fatherhood the importance, the re resurgence in black fatherhood, and also some of the myths and some of the misnomers of black fatherhood, you know what I mean? Because teaching teaching your kids the truth and, and, and letting go of some of our old hurt, you know what I mean? Because I grew up without my father. I know a lot of women, single mothers grew up out here without a father and raised kids without a father, you know what I mean? But actually, the studies show that black fathers now are the most active groups in their child's lives among all the racial, you know what I mean, all the race, race groups, you know what I mean? And I think that that's really important that we soak that into the fabric of our identity and let go of that deadbeat dad shit. It's 2.5 million black fathers that are living with their families today. 2.5 million, my nigga. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of young black people are getting married. You know what I mean? Trying to find somebody to settle down with. It. And that's a, it's a lot of work that we're doing that, that, that needs to be known. That 70%, that 70 you know what I mean? Black kids are fatherless is a myth, family. Yeah. Um, I, 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 will, I loved wrapping this up today with the uh, black fatherhood, you know, because it's uh, all that what they call it bloom and gloom you know yeah. from all the uh political things that's going on and you know the trying times with uh unarmed black men getting killed still uh i want to end it on black 
fatherhood because it's a it's a peaceful place of mind. You know, mm -hmm. uh, having kids and raising kids, man, it's something so beautiful about it. I can't even explain it with my uh, with my own words, man. But I got some tips when it comes to black fatherhood, or more so, some perspective that maybe entertain. You know, to it uh, bringing up black kids in modern days time. Yeah, so when it comes to black fatherhood, uh, when it comes to the nurturing department of black fatherhood, uh, I think giving kids responsibility is a nourishing aspect of fatherhood. Oh, excuse me. My, the reason being, you know, you give a kid responsibility and they have something to tend to, to, uh, to do their part, to to uh, uh, work for something, you know? And I think that nurtures work ethic, that nurtures accountability, that nurtures uh, uh, independence, yeah. you know? And uh, that's the nurturing realm that I'm referring to when I say give the kids responsibilities, let them prove themselves to themselves. We mm. already know who they are and what they're capable of, you know, by giving them responsibility tasks and they seeing they completed, then maybe on the flip side, they can see the parents' vision. Like, yeah. this is who you are, yeah. you know? That's nurturing. Education is a big, broad subject. Our kids got their uh, they strong point, their weak points, or, or most importantly, where their interest lies, you know? So, uh, I say tailor it as you may, but biggest part out of education is promote reading. Make sure our kids are avid readers uh, let's go back old school, library cards, you know, uh, you know, make sure they got the book app, you know, and downloading and, and, and making sure they're reading and ask them about the stories that they read and what they're interested in. I am a firm believer. If you can read in an accurate reader, whatever you're interested in in life, you can do your research or you can read directions on how to attain what you want to get. You can figure out what you need to know, what you want to know. For your journey, your task ahead. You know, if you can't read and ain't nobody gonna show it to you or give it to you, you know, how you gonna maneuver through the maze. So Or if you don't read well. Or or if you're kinda taught at a young age that reading ain't really it. I think the stigma that we have on being smart and reading is what we call white people shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing the air quotes. White people shit. You see a nigga reading a book after you get to a certain age. It's considered to not be cool to read. I remember I used to read like a motherfucker. I had a I had a bookshelf when I was a kid, talking about like third, fourth grade, of a whole bunch of books, bro. Talking about Goosebumps, Hank the Cow Dogs. I, I read the I read the Harry Potters all the way up until Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire came out. I think that was the fourth book, and it came out when I was in like seventh grade, right around the time, sixth, seventh grade, around the time when being cool started to matter. You know, you start mattering how, you start caring how people look at you. And I feel like that's something I kind of let fall by the wayside until I became an adult and realized the importance, you know, realized the importance of what I was doing, what I was building back then, not necessarily for back then, but for myself now, that I started kind of back to read, to kind of pick it up. And I feel like, um, you know, of course I didn't have a father, not of course I didn't have a father. I feel like maybe I said that already, but I, I didn't grow up with my father present for the majority of my life. Let me put it that way. We had a relationship until I was about nine, and then I didn't see him again until I was 18. And then I didn't talk to him again until I was like 28. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we now we have a good relationship. You know, he knows my kids and, 
everything's different but growing up i didn't have a father and i even though your mother stressed to you, you know reading is good reading is important your mama ain't cool to you you know what i'm saying like your mama is mama yeah. but if your pops was telling you hey you know what i'm saying reading cool bro not only like, telling you doing it himself. showing you yeah exactly yeah. i think i would i think that's something that might have stuck with me so i think um to your point that showing them to understand that hey people might tell you that this ain't what that is but i'm but i'm telling you this is something important agreed agreed you know just to wrap the education up i just feel that literacy is important and uh having avid readers promoting reader you know what gets even stronger and uh how about kids uh academic inclined to handle all types of terrains um another thing is black fatherhood should be on our minds is God and our kids through hate, and what I mean by that is we know there's a there's a stigma out on us. There's a, a there's a prejudices out there, you know, and uh, there's gonna be people who don't like us or don't like our kids for some unseen reason, you know. And I think to a teacher point to help your kids go out in this world and face those type of adversities is teach them how to use their words. Mm teach them how to express communication yeah and give other people a chance to state their true purposes what's really underneath her by using the words and not so leaning towards aggression yeah. you know uh i think mick mill said it, uh best in one of his songs like uh, our kids learn how to fight fight before right right no yeah. you know and uh we we can be aggressive and we can we, we know we ain't nobody to be fooling with you know yeah. so uh but let's just let's just teach our kids how to leave with their words, you know, and and be the bigger man and walk away, you know, uh, uh, cut them down to size with logic yeah. and reason, yeah. you know, and, and and keeping our peace, you know. Another point is to clear and concise. Before you go to your next point, clear and concise communication can get you out of so many situations, and not just get you out of situations can get you into good situations. Being able to express yourself clearly and concisely and convey what you're actually thinking and sometimes the frustration of like not being able to relay that to an, another individual and get them to understand um what you think and what you feel is sometimes the reason that anger is is such an easier option such a that, that that's such an easier option is something that you know is something you don't have to think about to just get angry but to take a second and tell yourself that this person doesn't understand you and maybe they don't understand you for a specific reason. Maybe it's the way you're delivering the way you coming across. Maybe you coming across, you know what I'm saying, attackingly so they getting defensive so now they not listening to what you're saying. I mean, a lot of that things, you know, is how we handle our women as well. You know, being able to, you know, it's about having emotional intelligence. Yeah, you know, yeah. when things are getting blown out of hand, you can find a way to defuse. Yeah. Even if you have to withdraw yourself, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Even if, if if you have to uh, pick up a topic with a particular individual later on, you know, yeah. all I'm saying is the aggression is not getting us nowhere. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for self-defense. Sometimes you, know? you got to put your hands on a motherfucker. Self-defense is self-defense, <laughs> yeah. you know, but. Uh, Don't make that the first option. Our words is, it has enough power itself. Yeah. Uh, to add it on with that, you know, it's as ugly as it may sound, but we have to prepare our kids minds say everybody not gonna like you yeah. you know and that's even with our own raising our own culture you know everybody don't everybody don't mix there's nothing wrong with that everybody don't everybody don't mix but i want to 
let these kids know so they don't get in their feelings or mess with their self-esteem because they're not accepted in certain groups or certain crowds, you know. That's just how life is. Everybody don't miss a mingle, yeah. you know, and uh, that, that don't make anybody wrong or, or less than, you know. So we got natural bonds out here, and then naturally people collide. So uh, how the kids accept that in mind? You don't, have to, you don't have to make friends. Friends organically happen. Yeah. Uh, that leads me into uh, lead with love and end with respect. What I mean by lead with love is, you know, give everybody a fair chance. We don't have to walk around with a with a chip on our shoulder, you know, with 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 grudges and envies on our mind. You know, give everybody a fair chance because we don't know who's the op and who is the understanding at this point. You exactly. know, exactly. And or or you know, with that being said, or who's faking? You know, but give everybody a fair shot. You know, what I'm saying give yeah, with love now. If love ain't received, uh, misunderstood, or just completely th throw out the door, that's when you end with respect. You know, we don't have to like each other, you know, but we can still respect each other. I respect you and you respect me. And with respect, I always get yours. And, and that go goes pairs up with using your words, using your intellect. You go back real quick to what you said about you never know who with you or who against you. What's crazy is that I was watching this thing on TNT. Um, it was the post game show on TNT, so it's you know it's Chuck, it's it's Shaq, it's Kenny, and it's EJ. So they they are celebrating the Freedom Riders that march with Dr. King. Now, being from the South, Texas, Louisiana, and and when I think of old people, when I see old white people, I'm thinking, uh oh, you know, racism. You know what I'm saying? This is this is somebody who you know, they 80 years old, so they was born in the 40s, you know what I'm saying? So they views on black people is that we're less than, and that this person, you know what I'm saying, is more than likely an overall bad person. And that's just from what, I, what I've seen, my experiences. And I watched the Freedom Riders, people who risked their life, you know, people threw bottles at them, they went to jail. Man, you know how many white people was out there? Old white dudes, man. Old white ladies, bro. Who, if you saw them in the grocery store, you would swear they was racist. Mm -hmm. You would swear they was racist. Yeah. You know what I mean? And these are people who risked their lives at one point for our freedoms. You know what I'm saying? Something that did not directly affect them at all. They could have went on living their white lives and they didn't. You know what I mean? And and I think that, that kind of goes back to the brainwashing as well of, of television. You know what I mean? It kind of, it keeps us away from each other. Not just television, but media, period. It keeps us away from each other. It keeps white people thinking that black people violent. It keeps black people thinking that white people are racist. And the longer that we have that gap between us and there's no effective communication, like you said, there's no clear and concise communication, you know what I mean? Then the, these misnomers will keep us from healing this country. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Gotta keep our cool. Uh, Another department as black fathers that we have to be mindful of is the identity of a black child and how it can be misconstrued or misunderstood or even demonized, you know, but we have to put the model in front of them and ways that we can do that is share our history. I think it's evident today that we can't rely on the school system to give an adequate amount of the truth the meat and potatoes about the history of the African-American here today. 
uh, they share what they want to share and skip over, you know, what they really don't want to talk about, you know. And uh, it's important for we take the responsibility on educating our kids of black history. Ways we can do that is simple movie night. You know, you could look at some black movies with, with a message in it, you know, to, to later on review the movie and explain what's going on. You could do it through black art, black sports and the accolade that sports figures have, uh, have made and where they came from you know, uh, cover the civil rights movement and slavery. That's something that we have to do for our kids, ourselves, because it's just vital information about our history that we literally cannot trust a public school system to cover and get our kids to actually truly understand the heritage of where we're from. And we also gotta go back before slavery and understand that slavery wasn't the beginning of our story. And I, it's not that I thought that for so many years, I never thought, that we I knew we came from Africa but I didn't know any information about the tribes in Africa back in the 13th century back in the 14th century you know back in the 12th century 11th century shit even far as back as Timbuktu in the BC days and building the Sphinx and shit like that that black people were doing miraculous things building the pyramids of Giza you talking about it in, in 10,000 maybe 20,000 years ago bro when a lot of people in the other other parts of the world were still living in caves and worshiping rocks and shit, you know what I mean? The, these Africans had math that was so advanced. The pyramids of Giza is one of the wonders of the world. They still to this day don't know how the heaviest rocks are on the top. They can't even figure it out mathematically, much less be able to recreate something like this. And this is something that black people did so long ago. I mean, it's a part of our history. It's a part of who we are. And when we understand these are the type of things that, that we were capable of way back then, we'll understand the power that we have now. And I believe that that's part of the reason why it was purposely stripped from us and our identity of how great we were then was purposely stripped from us and that we've been broken down over 400 years to think we are the person people that we are now which is why we operate on such a high a low vibrating frequency when really you know what i mean we were connected with the heavens and the stars and just mathematically ahead you know what i mean of everyone else on this earth ten thousand years ago bro yeah definitely man it's a, it, it could be a pandora box when it comes to uh history you know and but that's that's something that we have to lean for in our household to teach our kids ourselves uh, along with history uh, precious family histories, you know, there's certain type yeah. of traits that we carry on from generation to generation in separate families, you know, and it's, I think it's important to share and understand, you know, our family histories, you know, uh, know your grandfathers, the great grandfathers, where's they from and what occupation did they have and, you know, uh, where they relocated to and, you know, all the deeps, ins and out, you know, of the family tree, you know, it's like, uh, that's the first step of getting out here and becoming who you truly are, finding your purpose. You got to know who you are and what you came from, you know. Man, that's crazy. My wife heard, there's like a receipt that her family holds on to. It was either her grandfather or her great-grandfather that was sold for $12. Wow. At a slave auction in Williamsburg, Louisiana. And that's something that motivates her, you know what I mean? She does a lot of spiritual shit, she does music, and she's a pro-black advocate as well. And that, that's something, just knowing that little bit of information, just that little one little morsel of information gives her so much motivation, you know, going forward to do the things that she does. 
and I could just only imagine if we actually knew our full history, you know what I mean, what we could do, what we could accomplish. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, another thing that we can be attentive to is uh, be intentional about family time. You know, we are their role models. You know, we the first figure that they see, you know, and I understand that we, we need our me time. We got uh, mom and daddy duties we got to do, you know, tinkering around stuff, run, running errands, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes the kids have to entertain themselves, you know. And uh, I would say be more attentive about family time, you know, as much as you can, as much as you can muster, keep your kids around you because they're soaking up something whether you there or not. Yeah. And if you're a model parent, as I as I believe everybody think they are, you know, I feel that my presence is the best place for my kids. And they, they're watching, they're learning, and not just from your words or from your actions, you know, let them see you do things, you know, keep them close, keep them close to you so they keep on looking at you and not getting this mixed identity information from all these other sources. Yeah. Uh, Another good tip is to expose them to the stereotypes, the stigmas that will be pressed on them. So they're gonna know what they're dealing with, you know? They, they'll know what's against them or what someone perceive or think they are. You know, we know the stereotypes, black people, uh, they're lazy, black people are violent, you know, you heard the term, you wanna hide something for a black man, put it in the book, you know. Uh, there's so many stereotypes, negative stereotypes that uh, people subscribe to. You know, I think it's a good tactic to expose our kids to the early. This is what people could think of you. This is what people categorize your skin color to these type of traits, you know, and let them know what they're, what they're playing to begin. You know what I'm saying? Let them know the template that society might have on them so they can see it coming and know how to maneuver through it. And uh, when you're dealing with black folks, you know, we're we're everywhere, you know, we're in the hoods, you know, we're in the wealthy areas, you know, we, we're in the suburbs and, you know, we're everywhere. There's all different type of black folks that's out here in this country. And I want to specifically talk about the suburb family, you know. There's nothing wrong with uh, doing well for yourself and, and moving to a community that don't have a lot of riffraff and it's peaceful. But typically, most of the time, you know, it's a predominantly white area. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, they have great school systems and, you know, the whole nine, you get it. But you have to be defensive and don't let the identity get lost into the environment. You know, I had a, a buddy a while back that hit me on to this. He was an older fella and did well for himself for many years in his family. And he uprooted his family, moved him to a nice suburbs. And he had to be away a lot to, to make that money to handle their lifestyle and all the amenities that surrounded them. So he didn't realize by uprooting his family and planting them in this uh, all white community, how his blackness was kind of wither away because he hung out with white people. Uh, Him as in his son. Exactly, played with white people, you know what I'm saying, did white people fun shit. I'm not saying anything wrong with it. But to this, this day, uh, my buddy was telling me that his son struggles you know being around among a lot of black people it's awkward it's socially awkward because he's been surrounded around white people so much he don't even know how to be around his own people you know i don't think there's nothing wrong with living in the suburbs and, and bringing up your kids in a in a good uh in a better environment you know but we have to be intentional about uh 
what we expose them to so they don't lose their blackness, you know. Bro's son, you know, he, he, he loves himself and loves his people, but he just awkward being around them, you know, mm-hmm. because he was so far removed from them for so long, he don't even know how to be himself. Yeah. You know. Man, that's major and it, it makes you think of like well, why do we have to choose? Why do we have to choose between being in a neighborhood that's safe and being in a neighborhood that's filled with our culture? Why is it why is it so hard socioeconomically for black suburbs to thrive? And why aren't there enough of them? You know what I mean? Um, and I think this is something that that we should we should also going forward focus on getting our neighborhood safer or getting our neighborhood safer to where we can have safety in the inner city or if we're gonna go out to the suburbs let's be strategic and and buy areas that are gonna sell to black people you know what I mean so this is this is speaking again to the people at the, at the top you know what I mean these people who are building neighborhoods and building building homes are white people building houses for white people what if there's a conglomerate of black businessmen who are building who are buying up land to build houses that are actually going to let black people move in by the masses so that we can have a safe neighborhood but also have a neighborhood of black people to where you know our holidays and cookouts and things of that nature where our kids can grow up and run up and down the block with other black kids and still be safe. Exactly, exactly. Now moving on to uh, what I call mental toughness. And mental toughness out here to face this world, you know, you definitely need it, you know. You definitely need it or you'd be somewhere on the pill like the rest of everybody. You feel me? You know, but uh, one thing that's sharpened up a mental toughness is exercise. I just remember being in sports and running drills and and just, and just recognizing how strong I am, how fast I am, you know, how how mentally capable I am to push myself through something and was do the exercise, the workouts, through my coach with my teammates, you know. Uh, exercise is a perfect way to gain mental toughness, you know. No pain, no gain, right? Mental clarity as well, you know what I mean? Uh, even just after a good jog, you know, even just running around in the backyard with kids, being active, you know, you kind of breathe a little deeper, you know what I mean? Just getting outside and soaking up some sun and, you know, just just that clarity, you know. Exactly, exactly. Uh, another thing that pair up with mental toughness is sharing tough talk. You know, we, we don't really get nowhere with sugarcoating or beating around the bush with our kids. You know, if they're if they're if they're old enough, you know, to comprehend and have a little bit of wisdom themselves, share tough talk with them. Let them know what's going on and uh, around the house and why why we can't do this or why we can't go here or why we don't have that or this you know sure to talk with them and tell them what it is and how it is I think that person along with the mental toughness because when they face other things in life either by themselves or separate from you or even through with you you know through your talks uh, you telling them how it is and them seeing us overcome certain situations you know they're they're get it that storms just comes and go and stay rooted, stay to the process, you mm. know, and this shall pass as well, you know, and we'll shield them from that experience, you know, by hiding the truth from or, or telling the half truth or, or keeping the way around certain struggles that life may bring. And it's job loss, 
uh, cut of hours, you know, uh, bad career choices, you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all types of things. You know, be honest with our kids and be and, uh, uh, and, and let them see your vulnerability sometimes because they also will see the your strongness when you come up out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can learn from your mistakes. Uh, another thing that prayers with that is uh, give them challenges. Challenges that you particularly know it might be a struggle with them. They might not even complete it the first go around. But always challenge the youth. Challenge them. Get them to do something outside of what they've done before. Or push them to go beyond what they had before. Maybe on a particular uh, a scenario what they already do do. You know, but keep them in challenges. Your own man created challenges. You know, so they can show to themselves that they could be critical thinkers yeah. and and think their way out of situations. And that's going to go a long way when it comes to their confidence, when it comes to their self-esteem, for mental toughness, that if my back against the wall, it doesn't mean I throw in a towel. You know, I got to turn on my thinking hat yeah. and coach my way through this. And I play the devil's advocate with my wife all the time. This Because my kids are still pretty young. My oldest son is five. But I do it with my wife all the time when she's talking about this or talking about that, something she believes in. Sometimes I'll just take the opposing stance just to work her brain out. You know what I'm saying? Just to see what her response is if I say this. Or see if she, is she so confident if, she, if I say this. Especially when you hear it coming from me. Mm-hmm. To where it's like, oh, do he not support me? But... Sometimes you gotta challenge them. Sometimes you gotta challenge them to to question, to make, I'm not questioning your resolve, I'm showing you your resolve. I'm showing you just how good your resolve is, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe you don't feel as strongly, exactly. Maybe you don't feel as strongly about this as you think you do. Or maybe when I present another perspective, it just opened your mind up to something that you haven't even considered yet. A possibility that you haven't even considered you know what I mean and I think that's that's important to challenge the people around you and right now we're talking about fatherhood but also like brothers you know what I mean sisters cousins your wife you know what I'm saying always be holding them accountable and, and, and but allow them to hold you accountable as well I think it, that's it, a uh, that's a true relationship man it's like uh, no one likes just a yes man yeah. you know be a real friend, be a real father, mm-hmm. you know, be a, be a real brother, you know, mm-hmm. a real sister. And and kind of tell them how it is, you yeah. know. Sometimes, you know, they got to hear the tough talk yeah. and challenge their own thinking, you know what I'm saying, about their own action or their own vision where they want to go. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it helps them prove it to themselves, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, yeah, man, you got you got a challenge, man. You got a challenge to hold people accountable for the action, man. I, it's... it's I didn't have friends like that, and I, I more so appreciate the friends that I have that can just stand firmly and let me know where I'm slipping at, where mm-hmm. I'm loose at, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying, where there's an opportunity to gain and grow. Not no one who's going to sit up on you and disagree with you every time. You know, everything you say and do is go, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice people to be around, you know what I'm saying, but it's not necessary to the company you want to keep. We are talking about progressing. In abundance, you know. Yeah. So, uh, man, just keep on rolling. Uh, with these kids, man, let's give them firm nose, but with understanding. Yeah. Firm nose, you know. Uh, this a lot of people in this world just generally have a complex about the word no. You know, some people are get anxiety over rejection. You know, uh, tantrum tantrums. You know what I'm saying? Over 
things not going that way. And that's something that we can just nip in the bud early by, as parents ourselves, giving them firm, firm no's. But with understanding, with understanding you guide them and you show them why it's a no. You know what I'm saying? You explain to them why it's not going to happen this way. You know, not just a cold no and leave them where they at. You know what I'm saying? In a state of confusion. You know, I believe with loans with communication, explain it, let's gain an understanding, you know, and at the end of the day, we have the authority, you know what I'm saying? You got to respect it, you know, contrary to that. It's give yes, but yes with expectations. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we want the best for our kids and we want to give them everything that they want, you know, but if sometimes they deserve it, sometimes they don't, you know. Sometimes, you know, they have to keep up with uh, certain progressions, you know what I'm saying, to actually keep you know, the things that we have granted to them, you know, but don't just be a yes man, you know, set firm expectations, you know, for my blessing of whatever it is, you know, so you request and ask for. So you're saying give no with explanation and give yes with expectation. Exactly. Bingo. Exactly. And uh, those are just my points of black fatherhood that would just get us mentally in shape and our kids uh, firm to, you know, face some of these challenges out here in this world, you know. I believe that if you take this information, tweak it to your own situation, <clears throat> apply it the best way you fit, you know, with repetition and, and with the guidance, you know, this will uh, definitely raise up independent, strong black youth, you know. Man, just, and on, a, just a few tips anyway. And on that note, we're going to wrap up our first episode, Free the Blind Podcast, man. We're going to be coming at you every week, Sunday, 8 p.m. I encourage you guys to tune in. And, man, we just we just happy. We, we, we happy, and we also, you know what I mean, take, we're humble. We're taking this, this opportunity to be able to speak to and for black men in the black community everywhere. Um, we're taking it serious, man. We're taking it serious. And it's just the tip of the iceberg, man. We had to cut out so much stuff just to fit it in the time constraint. We got stuff to talk about for days, bro. Yeah, but we got it done. You know, we actually we appreciate you taking the time out and hearing us out, you know. Keep on coming back, checking us out. We got plenty of points. We got plenty to talk about. We got plenty of topics that we got to cover. We got plenty of growth that needs to be had, you know. Uh, Put this bug in your ear, you know. You can't you can't tell me this ain't nothing different than what you heard already, you know. Yeah. So check out this flavor. Free the blind. Check out this flavor. All right, man. This Dupree and Ricky D signing off. Y'all be blessed.